G'day, this is Greg and... And I'm Michael. And this is episode two of the Ripples podcast. Woo! <laughs> How's it going, mate? It is going well. Uh, today is the first day that my eldest son, eldest uh, only son, but eldest child, uh, started started school for the first time. So that's that was... Uh, this week is an interesting adjustment for us in terms of we drop his sister off to, to childcare still and he goes to school and then kind of coordinating the days of the week that my wife and I are at home or in the office and then who's picking who up and who's dropping who off and and so this is a new adventure for us but I think I think we'll be okay it's just we have to be a bit more careful about planning that whereas before because they were both in one place and it was both you know 7:30 to 5:30 technically that we didn't have to think about it too much, but now it's kind of like, okay, we've got to plan the whole week out. And and when I go into the office, it's it's usually a week's notice. So it's like, okay, I can plan the day that I'm going in, but I have to plan it around when, every, you know, my wife's movements and, and now factoring in that the kids are in two different places as well. So it's a, a fun little challenge, but exciting. Drop-off went well, both of them. We thought there was going to be tears and and hanging on and, and things like that, but both of them were were pretty good. So, knock on wood, that continues. <laughs> yeah, we I both of mine are in primary school now, so um, but we, we went through that. Um, it is much easier when they're when they the drop off and pick up is in the same place, and yeah, there's no mad rush in the afternoon and dealing with um, dealing with school traffic and and things. But yeah, ours went back last week. Um, mm-hmm. My wife was all set to walk them to their class for the first. Um, lesson and they just jumped out of the car and said, "See you, mum." So, see you later. <laughs> yeah. kind of, I think they've gotten to that <laughs> age where they don't need um, they don't they don't need anyone holding their hands anymore. So, um, yeah, but it's it's nice. quite it's a quiet place here after what we got eight weeks of school holidays. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing that that we're kind of like, mm, you know, because kids get something like fourteen weeks of school holidays a year, and parents typically only get four weeks of mm. school holidays a year. So it's a matter of figuring out what do we do in those situations now. So we'll see how we go. We'll figure it out. We'll get there when we get there, I guess. Yeah, holiday care, mate. That's where it's at. Just get someone mm-hmm. to take them to a movie or roller skating yep. or something. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Roller skating. Tell your age. <laughs> <laughs> My kids love roller skating. What are you talking about? It's great. <laughs> Excellent. So, So tell us. Uh, how how is your coaching going? You had your first one last week or the week before, or have you had a second one now? Yeah, I had the first one. I think just before we recorded the the first episode. Um, so I'm kind of running it with that with that particular client. I'm currently, I'm, I'm aiming to run it on a monthly monthly basis. So uh, one mm-hmm. of the things I learned from I have an exec coach. And one of the things that I learned is that the, the the interesting thing about coaching is that the actual coaching itself isn't necessarily where the learning happens. It's in the period of time between between the conversations where the reflection happens and mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm just working on that with like a, a, a one month gap <clears throat> at the moment while we try and figure out what works best for him um i've i've prospected a little bit um, there's a few people in my network who have either previously reached out to me or um i've been aware of through various channels um so i sent off a, a few um I'll put a few lines in the water, as it were, to, to see what what, mm-hmm. what was going to happen. Um, it's it's an interesting process. I mean, sales is not something that I 
that is not a skill that I have. <clears throat> um, yeah. And selling myself is also not a skill, not a skill that I yeah. have either. So, um, and, and whilst I, I mean, I've tried to price myself at a point where conceivably an individual engineer on a, a pretty uh, um, median wage could decide to, um, uh, to pay for it off their own back. Um, yeah. I know that, you know, the, the big sort of coaching shops charge a heck of a lot more than Much what fun. I'm, than what I'm looking at, but, um, it's still a fair chunk of change, right? It's still, you know, you're asking people to take a relatively big bite. So, um, yeah, yeah there's a, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more sort of chats and emails and things than I thought there, um, was initially going to be, but yeah, still, still pretty confident that I'll, I'll hit some goals um, on that for this year. I haven't set like massively ambitious goals, but, sure. um, yeah, so hopefully hear back on on a couple this week. Um, Very good. Are you finding that it's mostly people kind of wanting to take you up on the offer, but not expecting that it's going to be something that that goes into like a paid mentorship coaching option? That that kind of thought that it would just be some free advice, or is it some trepidation in in taking that step after that initial com- conversation? Um. Not, not sure to be honest. I mean, I, I think when when the the idea of doing this first came up, um, I was doing an awful lot of free advice. And I don't. To be fair, I don't mind giving free advice. I give free advice on LinkedIn all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the I kind of use Twitter as a bit of stream of consciousness of you know various hot takes that I might have. So I'm, I'm not 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 opposed to giving away free advice um, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find that that in a few conversations that I had, that sort of those sort of fifteen minute free advice conversations turned into like big forty five minute long deep dive so yeah you know part of it's kind of about i guess some sort of fairness of time and and things like that and and allowing me to be able to devote the time to do it properly Mm -hmm. um i think some of the people i've spoken to are sort of at that sort of engineering leadership level but may not have access to the learning and development budget keys so they're then having to do another pitch um, internally yeah so things just happen happen a little slowly Mm -hmm. um i guess but I mean, these are the challenges. Um, and I guess, I mean, I, I should have expected it. And I, I, there's the same thing happens when I deal with vendors in, in my day-to-day job, right? I still have to. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the one doing the same kind of begging for, for the keys <laughs> to the cupboard kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, um, it's, it's good. And having some good chats and, and, and meeting some, meeting some cool people. Um, mostly people who um, saw, saw me at, either saw me at um, Laracon or, um, or watched the video. Um, Mm-hmm. On, on youtube of the laracon talk so um yeah that's uh, continuing to bear fruit that's good i, th- I suppose you are you predominantly wanting to focus on people within your time zone and when i say within your time zone i'm talking australia new zealand kind of thing is i mean that's probably the easiest catchment area in terms of you know doing things with people in a in a reasonable time before you kind of look at other areas is that where you're getting most of your yeah i mean that, that's definitely the easiest place to prospect um because i can i can prospect while they're alive um you know send off you know just before work send off you know a bunch of linkedin messages and emails and at lunchtime check and kind of thing um because i have a full-time job uh, which probably consumes anywhere from depending on what's going on 50 to 70 hours of, of my time um mm-hmm. the actual time to deliver the uh, the coaching sort of has to happen lunch breaks or slightly after work. So in terms of the ideal yep. client, a different time zone would actually probably make would probably make that a lot easier because it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing to go and 
you know, eat some dinner with the kids and put the kids to bed and then jump on a call. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't really care where it, where it comes from, um, to be honest. So if the people the advice there, is fairly universal, I would yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, most of it's come, most of the, the sort of source material that the things that I started getting really interested in uh, a few years ago are, are all coming. These ideas, like so many ideas, because there's just so many brains in these organizations, they start in big tech, right? So mm-hmm. you look at, um, I think continuous delivery, which is, the, I guess, precursor to continuous deployment, started in, in a book from a bunch of ThoughtWorks people, but has been put to immensely good use in organizations like Amazon, Google, and so on. So, yeah, these ideas are, um, these ideas are, um, yeah, very, very universal. Um, they're not terribly well known in Australia, though. So, um, yeah, Australia mm-hmm. still has, Australia is still coming out of the, the project management mentality and moving towards the product management mentality. And, and those things mm-hmm. are very, uh, 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 the constraints around those things are very, very different. So when you're, when you're dealing with projects, you're dealing with the iron triangle. So, um, you know, scope, time, quality, all of those things. Um, <clears throat> when you're dealing with product, you're dealing, you're primarily principally dealing with um, how quickly can I test an idea and will anyone pay for it? Um, the iron triangle really doesn't even come into it. Mm-hmm. As much as it does, so the, the constraints are really, really different. So a lot of the a lot of these ideas just um, are still. Yeah, I mean, they're gaining some traction, but they're still relatively, mm-hmm. um, relatively new in, in Australia. I think we, we're probably, Australia's probably ten or fifteen years behind um, Silicon Valley. The whole world's probably ten or fifteen years behind Silicon Valley. Yeah, be real, but, they're always pushing the envelope. Do you yeah. want to for those for those that don't know? Do you want to just elaborate a little bit on the Iron Triangle? Yeah, so um, I'm gonna have to, I'm actually gonna quickly Google it because I always muck it up. <laughs> um, so the iron triangle it's like a triple constraint, right? So um, I guess the triple constraint that everyone kind of uh, is uh, is used to is that you can have cheap, fast, or reliable, but you can only pick two. Um, and it's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's like yeah, yeah, you have time in the iron triangle. So how long is it going to take? Um, how much is it going to cost? And what's the scope? Um, and mm-hmm. they're all constrained on each other. So um, you can uh, you can make things go faster if you increase the budget, or you can make things go faster if you decrease the scope, mm-hmm. or you can make things cheaper if you increase the amount of time. Well, relatively cheap, I guess overall cost is going to be similar, but you can, uh, or you can increase the quality if you decrease the time. Um, those yeah. kinds of things. Um, so mm-hmm. this is like a, a in, in, when you're trying to build something where you have a start and an end point, um, it's a very very useful kind of tool to understand what levers you can pull to hit a date or hit a desired quality target or um, mm-hmm. or hit a particular budget. Um, and it, like so much of project management, it comes out of built environment, right? It comes out of like, I want to build a bridge. Um, I want to build a new road. Um, yeah. I have this much money to spend. How do I, what constraints can I move? You know, do I reduce the material costs by using some cheaper material or um, do I try and get it done really, really quickly by hiring a thousand people to, to do the work? Um, it, and and it, that works really really well when you have a project, but uh, I don't necessarily think the project um, thinking, the, the project mentality um, applies terribly well to what we're doing, particularly when we're in the product engineering space. So mm-hmm. um, there are definitely project software engineering things that go on. You look at a lot of like um, the kinds of things that that IBM does for government and things like that that have kind of fixed rollouts and very very con- constrained scope. But when you're trying to build a product. Um, there's a very there's a whole different set of levers that that are yeah. in play, and really, how much it costs is, I mean, important because uh, there's not an unlimited um, 
pot of money, but what will kill a product is that people are paying for it. So getting to the point where sure. people pay for it is um, is a lot more important than trying to hit some arbitrary date at some arbitrary value. Yeah, I think that's the thing that is often missed is it's great to have this idea of some perfect future state that you know we can't ship anything to anyone until it's perfect, but mm. no one is paying for that idea until it's in the hands of customers. And so the levers that you can pull in terms of cutting scope or you know shipping smaller chunks more often are often missed. And I think, I mean, it happens where I work. It happens everywhere that I've worked is that you you go away into a room and you kind of design the world that you want to exist, the perfect world. And, and it's hard to then detach that thing into smaller pieces of work that you can start delivering value to customers straight away. Mm. And I think that is always the trick for engineering teams is to kind of say, what could we get into the hands of customers? And you start looking at it and so quickly it runs away from you where it's, we've got to build this thing and then you've got to build the supporting infrastructure for it. And then you've got to do the back end and then you've got to, you know, lay the front end over the top of it. And and it, it stems from this world of right once, touch, never, mm. where, you know, we've got to move on to the next thing as opposed to iterating on some functionality over time. Because you may find that once you get it out into the world, that what you thought you were needing to build and what your customers actually need to use are not, quite aligned and that's no one's fault things change and move rapidly but you don't know that until you get it into the hands of those users and it's something that you're always i mean i as someone who's been programming now for 18 years you know you you know that this to be true but sometimes and because i think part of my problem is because i change jobs every two to four years on average over that 18 years um I, I see the same problem repeatedly is that I kind of, once I get to the other side of it where you, where you convince product and, and marketing and, and sales and whoever else that we need to do smaller bits more often, you put them on that path and then I've changed jobs. So I've never got to actually bear the fruits of that labor. So it, it's always interesting. Like it feels like I've, I just see the same problem, but it's, it's also because I keep changing jobs once I get to the top of that hill. Yeah, there was a there was a study that um, someone at Microsoft did where they analysed thousands and thousands of projects uh, across the whole portfolio mm-hmm. um, and features. And and these these features were all really great ideas. They had well vetted. They had done the customer research. Everyone thought they were really really great. And they found that two out of three of them produced zero or negative value to Microsoft as a business. Which is to say that even like humans really want to understand. Um, they really want to know that what they're doing is the right thing and that they're investing in the right places and so on and so forth. But um, it's worse than a coin toss. Um, you're going to be wrong like oh, no, you two or three again. times. So it, it really does come down to the fact you've got to iterate. Iteration and experimentation is the only way that you can know. Um, do a tiny little bit, test it. If it works, keep going down that line. So, Yeah. But I just yeah. think people are really uncomfortable with that as an idea because people want to know <laughs> how much is it going to cost and when am I going to get it and what is it going to look like. Um, and yeah. I think also, yeah. I can't remember, I've been chasing for years to try and find out exactly where the quote was. But I think Taylor might have said at some point that he never announces a feature until something until he's he's done because he feels like if he announced something 
the sort of endorphin rush of announce of announcing it makes he makes his mental state feel like it's already done, even though he hasn't even picked up a yeah a pencil to start sketching it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like something he would have said, and, and like it makes sense. And I think the biggest problem is that these businesses are often in that mindset of design up front, build, ship, move on to the next thing. And it's very hard. It's scary. I get it from their perspective to change that, to just shift, you know, shipping small pieces of functionality, mm. you know, and, and it's, and it's a hard thing to do as well to try and distill, you know, this feature that's, you know, this big down to individual bits that are much smaller, you know, how do you ship 10% of a feature? Mm. So when you think about it, you know, what is the most important thing? And so often the answer to what is the most important part of this is all of it. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, assume that it's not all of it. Assume that we've only got three days to work on this. What are we shipping to customers in three days? Yeah, And and there's a few things, there's a few things to unpack in that, right? So the, 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 um, the first part of it is that you shouldn't be think. I don't think you should be thinking in terms of features anyway. You should be thinking in terms of goals or mm. in terms of objectives. And the feature that falls out the back of that, as long as it um, meets the, the stated objective, it doesn't matter how it was done. It doesn't matter if it didn't even involve software. I think uh, Dan North once said that, um, was it Dan North? Or, that the way that you win at software is not writing software at all. <laughs> because by the time you're actually writing software, you're doing yeah. the most expensive thing you can possibly do. So if you can fix it with process or you can fix it with... In, 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 by all means, engage your engineers. We're, 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 we're um, career problem solvers. Software is a tool for solving problems. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, it's not the, the only thing. The, the other thing to unpack is that this stuff is really counterintuitive. Um, it, 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 like everything about the, the design upfront mentality makes so much sense. Like it just make, it just clicks. Like if we just measure once, like measure twice and cut once. Like, um, but mm-hmm. in reality, it, it, it's particularly for what we do, and I think it's I think it's because it's not manufacturing, right? It's like software engineering is a creative endeavor. It, it very much, you, uh, once something is done, it's nearly free to copy it, right? You just create copies of the software. Um, but it, so therefore, anything that we're doing has never has really never been done before um, in, in a particular mm-hmm. context. So um, none of the things that intuitively make sense actually seem to work. <laughs> um, which is our thing. Yeah, um, it, it's a really hard thing, and I, I don't think I don't think engineers are ter- terribly good at. I mean, I, I know I struggle with this a lot, but terribly good at explaining that to um, to business people. Like I've been in conversations where I've sketched out a whole bunch of stuff on a whiteboard to try and explain what's going on, and I've just had these blank stares coming mm-hmm. back at me. And the next question is, so how much is it going to cost, and when am I going to get it? It's just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't know. Yeah. It's uh, I think it was a classic Adam Wathen quote from back when he used to work at Titan. And so, you know, obviously going back a while now where, you know, he was asked for an estimate and he was, his response was like $8 million in six months and I'll get it to mm. you. And it's like, you know, that, that kind of mentality around you, you just don't know, like you will never know as little about the project as you do when you start. Yeah, 100%. And that's the, that's the next, that, that is the can, next thing too, right? Is it? And you yeah, can't plan. Yeah. And that, I mean, well, you can plan. I mean, I think, I think, I think there is some value in planning. The top kind of planning really matters, but you need to be ready to throw the plan away as soon as you learn, learn something. So I've seen it happen so many mm-hmm. times in so many businesses where we learn, you, you learn a little bit. Uh, you start following the plan, you learn a little bit and your choices are, well, the plan is no longer valid. Let's do something different. Or you just continue 
following the plan. And so many people will just choose to continue following the plan because there's so much invested in planning. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah. So that's, I, this is the kind of stuff that I'm, I'm uh, hoping to coach on because I think it's, um, I'm trying to help more trying to help engineering leaders to articulate this stuff a lot better. Cause I think, um, mm-hmm. uh, like we, we particularly as senior engineering leadership need to be better at communicating with the businesses that, you know, pay an awful lot of money for our time and our team's time. Um, yeah, we need to be better, be better at articulating, um, what, what it is they're actually going to get and, and making them feel comfortable with the fact that, mm-hmm. look, I'm not going to, you're not going to, I'm not going to tell you when you get, when you're going to get that feature, but you're going to get some value today and a little bit more tomorrow and we'll learn some things. And, um, and, and overall you'll probably end up uh, achieving 80% of what you want in 20% of what you would have spent other, for 20% of the amount of money that you would have spent otherwise. And, um, yeah. yeah. And the thing is when you, when you deliver that small slice to your customers and it's in their hands and they use it, mm. And you may find you've built something they don't want or you've built something that they're not using or or you ship it to them and you find that they're using it in a different way and you change tack and you don't know. Like it's much easier to change what you're doing after three days of development than it is to change what you've built over the course of, you know, a sprint if you're doing two weeks or a cycle if you're doing six weeks. You know, if, if you're not, getting any feedback from your customers, your paying customers for two weeks, you know, after until after two weeks of work or after six weeks of work or whatever it is, four weeks, then then what do you do? How do you undo what you've done yeah. in that, you know, that big t- bigger time frame? Get revert. But the cost of doing it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up, right? Like <laughs> sure. Exactly. Like throwing right. away I mean And it's not like you're doing one thing at a time right. either necessarily no. yeah i mean i always say this I, I think i mentioned it in my talk is you know the cost of throwing two hours worth of work away is two hours right i mean it, it hurts i mean it's still two hours of someone's time mm-hmm. it's still like i don't know cost plus overhead probably more like 400 bucks of the company's money every time you do it but that is way preferable to throwing away six weeks when you realize that the fundamental thing that that you believed was wrong um, and the data suggests mm-hmm. you, that that's going to happen two out of three times <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think yep. Jez Humble said uh, in one of his talks about this very topic. Uh, we need to stop optimizing for being right and start optimizing for being wrong. We go into these things thinking, yeah, actually we're not sure. Let's try something. What's the lowest cost way that we can just try it? And see, and, and you'll you'll end up finding a thread, right? Mm-hmm. You'll 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 latch onto something. You'll you'll hit into that thread, and you like the world will narrow, and you'll start, you know being able to make better bets because you, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like playing um, like battleship, right? Once you know roughly where something is, you can, you can make better decisions about that, uh, about where, where to take your next shot. But yeah, particularly early on when you have no idea whether the shot you're going to take is going to land. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think this is a, an interesting segue sure. into uh, something you wanted to talk about, which is uh, KPIs and OKRs. <laughs> KPIs, OKRs, developer metrics in general. Mm. And I think <clears throat> I I understand from a business perspective why a business would want to place some markers, you know, for for personal development, for understanding where people are, you know, to see that they're moving on a certain trajectory. And I always find that it makes sense across an organization 
depending on what the organization is. I work in asset finance, and so it makes sense for there to be KPIs towards financial targets, towards, you know, we need to make this much revenue, we want to settle this many deals, we want, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And there's personal growth and there's, there's you know, ladder climbing and things like that that, that are actionable, achievable, like you can move towards something. In in my, and I'll speak to my specific situation, like I'm kind of where I want to be mm. in terms of, you know, obviously I'm going to keep learning and I'll pick up new things and I'm going to adapt as I go. But it's not like I'm going to set myself a goal that I want to go and do some training course because I don't. That's not how I learn. I just like I'll watch a Laracast every now and then or I'll, you know, read some article or something and I'll and I'll learn as I go, as I do. But, you know, it's very difficult, I think, to kind of come up with some metrics by which to measure yourself. Like how how do you put that into place? And then we start, you know, we start looking at things like how often are you shipping? And it's like, well, how often you're shipping is a hard thing to kind of use as a as a metric, as a KPI, because how often you're shipping is relative to the kind of work that you're doing. A lot of the work that I'm doing is R&D, so it's hard to kind of put targets on that because I might not ship something for four weeks. I might have worked for four weeks, but I might only ship one thing at the end of four weeks because I spent two weeks thinking about it, one week implementing it, one week testing it, and then shipping it. Like it's it's very difficult mm. from that perspective. And then also as, as you progress in years of skill, your four hours or eight hours is very different to someone who's only been developing for two years or six years or one year. Like four hours of my time is very different to four hours of someone with less than a year's of experience time. Mm or with five years of experience or with like, and so it's hard to kind of gauge that stuff. And I know that it's all like individual, but the other, the other thing in, in an organization of our size and like, you know, of any organization of any size where they're trying to instill these kind of performance markers into the business is that tech is largely a function in support of the wider business. And so for us to define KPIs means that we kind of need to know like where, who, whose goals are we aligning to over the next period of, you know, three months or whatever it is. Because my KPIs have to align with those KPIs of, of whoever, you know, if we're, if we're working towards some specific thing for that, that quarter, then my metrics align to that team and that will change in three months and it will change in three months again. And it's, and it's kind of hard to put those things in place when you don't know. And so you end up coming up with either stupid things or like really vague mm. metrics. You know, how many bugs did you ship? I'm like, I don't know. Well, I mean, you say bug, I say, I, you say bug and I say you didn't scope the, the project properly. Like I built what you asked. And so then we start talking about even weirder, like more obscure things to measure. That's like, you know, did we ship 70% of what we committed to? Not 70% of what the business wanted, 70% of what we said we were going to ship. Did we ship it, mm. you know, bug free kind of thing? And so the other thing is bugs makes it terrible is that if you're incentivized on fixing 100 bugs a month or whatever the case is, you're not incentivized to make the system 
less bug ridden, like because you need the bugs in right. order to be able to hit your um, to be able to hit your target. Yeah, I closed a hundred <laughs> bug tickets, but we only opened thirty <laughs> bugs. Like, okay, and the whole point of being efficient, diligent, soft, like obviously bugs will creep in, but mm. the point of being a diligent and efficient software developer is to not let known bugs get into the system in the first mm. place. And that's by testing your code. That's by understanding the requirements. It's about shipping things that have been requested by the business. And it, like, I don't know about you, because you've, you've probably been off the tools for a bit longer, but how often do you ship something to spec and then the business goes, that's not what I wanted. It's like, no, that's what you asked yep. for. Whether or not that's what you wanted is a totally different yep. subject, you know? And so then you end up like undoing things and redoing things. And of course, it's on us as, as developers to ask the question, you know, the five whys, find out why you want to do that. Why do you, you know? Mm. But at the end of the day, you can only ship what you've been asked to build. Mm. Yeah, it's... um. Alignment. I mean, I'll start with alignment because that's. Um, I think that's that's the critical one. I, I honestly prefer OKIs to OKRs to KPIs. Um, so, for those who aren't familiar, um, a KPI is a key performance indicator. So, um, you as an individual are achieving what you set out to achieve, or, or what is required of your role for a period by meeting some measured target. So, um, for a salesperson, that might be that you're you're on you're on targeting. Um, you're on target earnings for, for a particular period, might be a KPI. OKRs are objectives and key results, um, and they're quite different, and they work quite differently. So um, <clears throat> an okay, uh, normally you'll start off with like a, a company-wide OKRs, and there'll be two or three of them for a particular period. Um, and they're usually strategic objectives that the business wants to achieve. So they want to uplift in revenue of X or uh, an increase in conversion in Y. Um, and then the senior leadership team will determine what are the key results um, that would indicate that those objectives have been met. And then each of the senior leadership team would then take those key results and objectives down to their team and design a set of OKRs at the next level. And that keeps going all the way down. And what that ends up meaning is that you'll have a sales department that you know, needs to hit a certain revenue target uh, and has their own set of KPIs. And you have an engineering department that... Um, will naturally start walking in the same direction because whatever their objectives are that, um, you know, they've identified that um, uh, conversion on an online sales uh, funnel is a critical um, limiting factor to to revenue. Um, so then everyone's kind of marching in the same direction. And I don't necessarily think that KPIs, unless they're really, really well designed, um, will do the same thing because you're dead right. I mean, your sales rep's going to have a, a KPI of earn this much money this month and you're going to have what, write this many lines of code this month. Like they just, they don't actually, they don't actually mm -hmm. align very well. The, the other thing is that I, over the years, um, I've tried many things and I don't necessarily think that individual targets work terribly well or, or um, get the best out of engineers. Because I think software engineering is a team sport. Um, and, individual measured individual performance at that kind of level like you're saying you know uh, shipping as a target right so so we we, we have um, we measure how frequently we ship but we don't measure how frequently I ship because I ship very infrequently mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we don't measure how much sort of staff engineers ship either because I'd much rather a staff engineer be spending most of their time enabling other people to do their work better um, but we do look at the entire team and go well how frequently is the entire team shipping because uh, we may find that 
making a staff engineer ship less makes the team ship more. Um, and, and it's just, you know, one of the sort of levers that, that, that we can pull. Um, so, yeah, I, I, having, having similar sorts of goals for KPIs for individuals and engineering teams um, or in any kind of creative pursuit, really, I don't, I mean, if you were, if you were a business mm-hmm. that was producing fine art, how would you KPI an artist painting a portrait like, or, you know, someone writing, yeah. it's very, very difficult. Um, and I think it can also drive some really, really bad behaviors. Like if you were bonused on how often you were going to ship as a software engineer, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd be shipping every commit to production as a separate which, which, PR. Doing shipping every commit to production isn't, isn't a, a terrible idea, but you would game the heck out of it. And there's this, um, is, it, is it Goddard's yeah. law that says that um, the, the moment a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because human nature is going to be to, to, um, to manipulate it. And then you end up with other measures that are designed to make sure people aren't manipulating the first measure. And it just becomes like, yeah, it's it's not cool. Like, I, 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 maybe it works yeah. for some people. I've, I've in in our particular trade, I've, I've never really seen it work. Yeah, work. yeah, it's always like I've I've never seen it work, and it's like never lasted long in my experience either. You know, eventually the business goes, all right, well, this is not working, and they kind of just wave their hand and it goes away. So, yeah. but you've got to, I've, I've got to go through the process. O- OKRs yeah. do work really well though. OKRs do work really, really well because they're fundamentally about alignment to objective. They're not about mm-hmm. what you did to achieve the objective um, because it shouldn't yeah. matter. It really shouldn't matter what, what it takes to achieve. If the objective is achieved, it's achieved, whether you did it because you shipped 50 times a day or because you rebuilt the system in Go or whatever the whatever the solution to the problem was. Right? The, the objective was met. Yeah. Yeah. Even like we did OKRs last year um, for a period of time. They kind of fell off, but we ended up coming up with some fairly obscure things that would, you know, how do we do this thing that we need to do that kind of roughly relates to one of these objectives that are higher up the tree mm. of, of you know, the the, the OKR pyramid effectively. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to, reduce the runtime of our ci and we're gonna upgrade the version of php and things like that and they just became like really um contrived and yeah. i don't know and, and again even even though okrs are a better tool i think than kpis they're still largely hinging on us like we don't really get to choose what we want to do because we're going to be spending a lot of our time doing what the business needs us to do. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I feel like in my experience, I feel broadly that like it doesn't make sense to apply those kind of metrics to technology teams, mm. especially software teams, because a lot of it kind of happens on the fly based on what is being yeah again this is the planning this is the planning the, the planning trap again right you, you plan a whole bunch of things in mm-hmm. good faith and then reality smacks you on the side of the face it's like suddenly a competitor has started yep. up and they're doing something that you never thought of doing and you have to yeah. pivot hard yep. in order to be up yeah. you've got to pivot um, yeah yeah drop anchor and change 100%. direction yeah i mean it is tricky i mean i would say that if um, if you were ending up with very contrived okrs i would i mean i, I don't know specifically what what was happening um but OKRs, much like many other things, people sort of in their heads go, oh, OKRs is just another word for KPI and then do the KPI thing. It's like, no, they are actually very, very different. And uh, they're primarily mm. about building alignment within, 
within an organization. If you can't figure out how to align, um, then something somewhere in that pyramid of objectives yeah. has gone a little haywire. Very, very tricky thing. Very, mm. very, very tricky thing to get right. Um, and it the, um, often doesn't work. So, um, yeah. yeah. The only alignment, and I, I don't know if I've said this to you, but the only alignment that I have with an organization is that I will turn up every day and give you my best effort to do the things that you asked me to do mm. and you will pay me to do that. And we will keep doing that dance until one of us doesn't want to, you know, either one of us doesn't want to pay mm. me, you know, the business doesn't want me to pay me to do it anymore or I'm no longer interested in doing that work. And, I'll, yeah. you know, I'm looking for another challenge. Uh, the, the thing that I hate. Sorry, go on. The thing that I hate more then KPIs and OKRs and that is individual goal setting and like performance mm. things where you go like, where do you want to be in five years? And where do you want to, or where do you want to be in six months and in two years and in five years? And, you know, a lot of that for me boils down to, okay, in six months, I, I, I still want to be here. And in two years, I still want to be here, but you'll be paying me more to be here. And in five years, if I'm still here, you best be paying a lot mm. more for me to still be here. like just just let me do the work and as long as you're happy with the work that I'm producing on the back of the things that you're asking me to do then we don't have a problem yeah and and like I said because I'm working in in finance like I get that for brokers and like those those types of things you there is ladder climbing for me it's like I have reached the peak of the mountain that I'm you know I don't want to climb any taller mountains I'm happy where I am and, you know, and the, the challenge for me comes from taking a legacy system and then bolstering it and making it good or doing, you know, a re not a rewrite, but like, you know, making it better, improving what you have, setting, setting the, um, the trajectory for like, this is how you're going to build the, the maintainable software. And as long as, you know, we get to keep doing interesting things and there's interesting challenges and we're building software in a in a maintainable way then i'll hang around and i think in our industry in particular it's you know people just change jobs every whatever i don't know what the norm is in australia but you know people typically people that i know typically change jobs every two to four years just just you know they just get bored of doing the thing that they're doing and they want to go and try something different like i went from telco i had been in telco for 15 of 17 years because I enjoyed telco and I got to the point where I just wasn't interested in telco anymore. And now I'm in asset finance, which is a completely different industry. And it's just, you know, mm. it's just engaged my brain in a different way, but I'm not interested in any of this career development, career, you know, progression, all of that stuff is just, I'm, I'm just not interested. And like, I know that that is a very privileged thing to say, mm. but I'm just not interested in any of it. I don't, I don't have any aspirations to grow. I just want to, at this point in my career, I want to solve interesting problems and I want to look after my family and that's it. There is nothing that you can suggest to me. There's no training course that you can put me on. There's no learning pathway that you can put. Like I'm just not interested in any of that. Yeah, I mean, I think. I will put in 100% and then I'm going to go and look after yeah, my family. Yeah, yeah, I think like where you're at, you're in you're in like a terminal role, right? In that, so <clears throat> you can't be a junior forever. You can't be a midweight engineer forever. Mm -hmm. You hit senior engineer, you can sit there as long as you like. Like, because you know, and yeah. you hit lead yeah. lead developing. You sit there as long as you like. Um, you can go back if you want to. It's yeah. Um, so once you sort yeah. of hit those terminal levels, I have no aspirations for management. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but it's I'm happy being an IC. Yeah. I'm happy being a principal or a staff or whatever. And like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think I mean, that's, that's as it. a manager of 
people. I think the career development planning thing does have some value because I think I'm a big believer that um, being a software developer is much like being a shark. If you stop swimming, you die. Um, like the, the rate at which mm-hmm. things are changing is so fast. I mean, I know this is somebody who's been off, the, you know, I'm, I'm on and off the tools quite a bit. And even like six months of not being in it, like hard, you're like, what is this that I'm looking at? What has changed here? That, mm. um, so I... JavaScript in three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I, um, yeah, React will have released something completely new that'll cause some new kerfuffle on Twitter or something, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, uh, make Aaron, like, lose his mind again. Um, the um, I, I find it as a useful tool to be able to say to somebody, like, what job titles are you chasing? And in your case, the answer would be none. I'm happy with the one that I've got. That's a useful thing to know. So then when we come to, like, talking about how do we spend your learning and development budget, which I think learning and development is still a thing. That's quite apart from career development planning. That is like, you know, how, how do we – there's a pot of cash that's available to you to spend on bettering yourself for the business and for your own your own purposes. Does that look like uh, conferences and networking? Does that look like because you're sort of a senior um, IC, does that mean that part of your um, remit is evangelizing the business so that you can attract talent? Therefore, your L&D looks a little bit more like go to a bunch of conferences. Um, So there is value in it that, you know, forcing somebody to be like, well, Mm. no, you've got to keep going up is, you know, (laughs) the logical conclusion of that is like what happens when you get to the top? You make CTO. What do they just... What does a career development plan look for a CTO? Super CTO, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the question. What is what is the plan? You know, I knock Sam off as head of engineering and start heading towards CTO. No, it's like absolutely not that. They're yeah. very, very different tracks. Once you, once you, like, that's, that's why we've got, you know, there's, there's junior, there's, you know, level one, level two goes up, you know, staff, principal, and then it goes into like the management tracks. And I just, I, I don't want to mm. do that. I have no interest in doing any of that. It's hard enough managing a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I don't want to manage. We kill so many not great to, engineers. Not to compare. We kill so many great engineers by turning them into <laughs> terrible managers. Like that. That's just something the industry yeah. does. It's like because people think the only way they make yeah, more money. People seem to think that that's the. Well, the only way to make more money. You, know, you get to the top of the only way to make more money is yeah. to cut across, and it's a different skill set. And I can tell you, as somebody who never sought, yeah. like, I enjoy it, um, but I never sought it. Kind of got it because I was like roughly 1% better than the people around me, not because I was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and people kind of give you a hat and say, congratulations, you're a manager now and you don't know what you're doing. And the first two years are scary, man. They're really hard. It's yeah. a totally different muscle. Um, yeah. People aren't coming to you with technical challenges. They're coming to you with human challenges. And that is a very different mm-hmm. thing. It's, oh, my dog is sick. And it's like, your dog's sick. Okay. It's like, no, you know, this is a dog that I've had for like 14 mm. years and they're, they're a member of my family. And it's like, all right, yeah. go and do but like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, and it's not, I mean, dog, my child's sick for me. It's like, my kids are sick. I got to look after my kids. And it's like, depending on where you work, some businesses get that because they have people in the business that have children and they understand that, or they've got children themselves. And they understand that, yes, sometimes you do need to take an hour or two away and you've got to go and mm. do it. And some businesses are like, well, I'm not paying you to go and look after a sick child, go and like take some sick leave or something. And it's like, you know, it depends on the organization and, and where you're at, but it, but they're, but they're very different challenges and it's, you know, managing people, it's managing friction sometimes between team members and colleagues and, you know, managing 
across teams and you know managing up and managing down and sideways and whatever else it's yeah as you say it's it's a very different muscle than than you know what is what amounts to a very creative process mm. for you know software engineers we're, we're creatives mm. really yeah yeah and we don't I, I guess probably a big generalization but we tend not to play well with others either <laughs> mm-hmm. um and part of a manager's job is to make people play play the game together <laughs> so, um yeah, yeah. It's, um yeah it's hard um alignment mm. anyway how's laricon au looking man how are we doing with it's it's ticking uh just just back and forth with with the venue trying to iron out some things we've got the catering quotes in which were not as egregious as i had estimated fortunately so there's some there's some room in the budget on that front so now that we've got that we can sort of start planning our marketing activities for you know what we're going to launch and when and how we've i've engaged with nucleus they're off in their their den of branding and coming up with some cool stuff for us to do for when we launch at the end of feb nice and just yeah again dotting the i's and crossing the t's with the venue still sometimes they take a couple of days to get back to me which is a bit annoying but you know i understand that when there's a a venue coordinator that is trying to plan events for dozens hundreds of different you know people like me across a 12 month period of time mm. like there's 365 days in the calendar that's a lot of events mm. for one person to kind of manage and so you know i get that they're not replying to the email within five minutes i, I don't expect that but it's kind of like until i lock in those things i'm at the mercy of their responses mm. until we're kind of all so we're i we're very close in terms of of locking that in and then once i have that locked in i can go and see if we can engage with a few sponsors early so that you know we've got them on board because any any sponsors that we kind of get in here now will help um you know manage the ticket pricing for attendees when when tickets go on sale in a few months so all, all coming together nicely, just you know, ironing out those last bits, and yeah, it's. I mean, there's really once once the venue's locked in, and we've paid our deposits and stuff. There's not a lot for me to do until April, I suppose. So, yeah, it quietly, secretly, obviously, reaching out to some speakers, and you know, we want to have some headline speakers. Obviously, we 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 have the CFP process, but we you know we reach out to people. And we invite, you know, three or four kind of high-profile people, you know, the kinds of people that you expect to see on a on a Laracon. And we try and mix it up every year, but we, we certainly make sure that we approach specific people to to fill that. And then we kind of build the rest of the speaker lineup, you know, the other 12 or so speakers around who we can bring on board. So I, I have one ready to go. Locked away. I've got another one that's kind of thinking about it at the moment, and maybe a third. So things are things are going nicely at the moment. Yeah, and this is the call for the entire community to continue putting pressure on Aaron Francis to apply. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Aaron, you're flying over here. If, 100%. Uh, Michael and I have to come to Texas with a Hessian bag and like smuggle you out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> 
Does this smell like chloroform <laughs> to you? Just breathe deep, mate. Breathe deep. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, I think we had, we had a bit of a technical hiccup in the middle, but I think. Um, we did. Hopefully, we didn't lose the first half of the we'll episode. Recording we'll the whole thing again. shortly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you can find us at ripple.fm. That's right. Cool. We'll, we'll all mm-hmm. We're also on Twitter now as well as Ripples FM. There's a YouTube channel too, I think. There is a YouTube channel as well, which I think is also, mm, or YouTube I think is Ripples Podcast Mm. maybe. We'll have links to it in the show notes. And uh, hopefully next we are talking to a couple of people about coming on and sharing their Ripples stories. I didn't really have many Ripple stories this time. Um, So it's just Michael and I shooting the shit for half an hour, but. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, some people have reached out, so that should be cool for next time. Hopefully, hear some some stories from the community, and hopefully next well next time we do this, we might even have some more to tell about what's coming up in the community at large, which would be awesome to do. But yeah, excellent. All right, man, that was cool. We'll speak. Right. Good talking. Speak in a couple of weeks. Indeed, we will. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye.